This Human Capital Podcast is brought to you by Goalspan, a performance management app that helps you set goals, get real-time feedback, run reviews, and align your workforce around what's most important. With Goalspan, you can integrate with all your favorite HR and payroll apps. To learn more, go to goalspan.com. This is the Human Capital Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. Today on the show, we're gonna talk about HR tech. HR technology provides a critical service that companies rely on to run everything people, including things like recruiting, applicant tracking, payroll, learning, expense management, and of course, performance management, which my company Goalspan provides. The last few years in HR tech have been truly astounding with more than 15 billion in venture money poured into these tech companies. And if you look at the plethora of systems that are out there, the average large company now has more than 80 different employee-facing systems, according to Josh Burson. Think about employees using 80 unique systems. That sounds kind of overwhelming. And what's crazy is that this number has increased by more than 40% over the past five years. The HR tech market is starting to slow down now And if you look at user satisfaction, it's actually mixed. Many players are trying to be, as William Shakespeare said, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So I've invited a guest on the show today to provide some insight to this complicated topic. Phil Strazula is the founder of Select Software Reviews, which is a website dedicated to helping HR teams find and buy the right software. He started his career in venture capital before getting his MBA at Harvard University. And Phil is passionate about HR tech and remote work, investing, and also people operations. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's a great introduction. And I actually didn't know that person sat. So it's pretty interesting. 80 solutions at at larger companies. It's pretty crazy. It's staggering. Like (laughs) it sounds overwhelming. And I want to get into that because there's a reason for it. Obviously, companies have made decisions to add all these unique applications for a reason. And so I know you can provide some insight to that. Yeah. And some of those reasons are probably really good. And and some of them are less robust, I, I would say. And of course, sometimes we just forget, especially at larger companies that we even have these things and we've got multiple things to do the same thing. And um, it can be sort of a mess just to kind of keep track of these solutions. But I think what's also interesting, you mentioned that $15 billion stat. There's been a lot of innovation that has happened, especially in the last probably five years or so within HR technology. And it used to be that HR tech was sort of, you know, 10 years behind the rest of the enterprise. When you looked at a solution like HubSpot five years ago, it was, you know, a hundred times better than the recruitment automation platforms that you might use, you know, the CRMs, the marketing sort of tactics that you can use to recruit. And I think that there's been a lot of catching up in some of these core systems. And I, I think there's also been a lot of really interesting innovations for these point solutions that are going really, really deep in something like employee scheduling or high volume recruiting or, or whatever the case may be. And I, I think the, the the trade-off, of course, for practitioners is how many of these do you want? And do you want somebody that is 
basically a, a jack of all trades, master of none, especially as you first start out, like that can actually be the optimal choice if you make it intentionally. And I think, you know, that that's one of the main things here is that you just need to be quite intentional about the systems that you adopt. Yeah, that level of intentionality is often not found because people make decisions in sort of a reactive way, right? For instance, all of a sudden I realize that I'm not using good tools for any of these categories, whether it's applicant tracking or expense management or performance management. And then I have a sense of urgency that I've got to implement something because the way we're doing it is so bad and so inefficient. And so now all of a sudden I've found myself with an app that might not exactly meet my needs. So I, I actually want to get into all this before we get too into the details. Can you share, Phil, a little bit about your, just your career? How did you end up in this place of HR tech? And, and if you can think of anyone that inspired you along the way, maybe share about who that might be as well. Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a big question. I'll try to be succinct. I was always interested in business, started investing in the stock market when I was 12 and wanted to study finance. So I went to NYU and, and studied finance there and worked for this venture capital fund that uh, invested in lots of different companies, including HR technology businesses like LinkedIn or Cornerstone On Demand. And I think that that further stoked the flames for uh, my interest in the entrepreneurial and, and startup ecosystem. I went to HBS to get my MBA. And while I was there, I started teaching myself how to program. And I just sort of started hacking on a bunch of different things. And the thing that I was the most interested in was, ironically, your, your career question, your, your question around career pathing. Why do people go from one place to another? And so I built a platform where people could share these stories. And it turned out there was this actual really good use case to build it into a business because Glassdoor was sort of emerging and the vast majority of Glassdoor reviews back then, this was like 2014, were extremely negative. I think the average Glassdoor rating at that point for a company was like a 2.9. And I remember the average Uber rating was like 4.8. And it's like, well, yeah, if you ask every single person that gets out of an Uber to rate it, it's going to be a 4.8. And if you don't ask anybody and the people that had the worst experience in the world rates it, it's going to be a 2.9. So we sort of built this employer branding SaaS that I ran for five years and helped companies tell their story about what's it actually like to work at the business, inject those stories into their career site, et cetera. And then after five years, I was honestly pretty burnt out and wanted to start another business. I hired somebody to run my old business on a day-to-day -day basis as a general manager and I still had that entrepreneurial drive. I really love to learn. I love to teach. And I saw that most companies were struggling with tool selection. When I was running my prior business, I talked to five or six HR teams a day. And many times those chats would careen in different areas just because I'm a curious person. And we'd inevitably talk about the ATS that wasn't working or the time tracking app that didn't integrate with the performance management system or whatever. And um, I had a couple of friends that started a, a business called bestreviews.com, helping people make B2C, complicated B2C uh, decisions. So what standing desk should I buy? What golf club should I buy? What chainsaw should I buy? And what they did was they'd find like a lumberjack to like rate the chainsaws, right? And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Like they're getting this expert opinion, which in my opinion was much better than going and reading a hundred reviews on Amazon, many of which are probably fake. And so I said, let's do the same thing in HR tech. Let's get some experts together. 
let's write up really consumable, useful content. And you can always go to Captera and read all the random reviews if you've got the time, but we hope that our content is more impactful. So those are the, the people I think that inspired me along the way. And then there's certainly been a number of practitioners who just sort of get it. You know, the people running some of these talent acquisition, people ops teams who are just really forward thinking, super smart. Those are the people that we try to get to uh, write on our website and give us their insights so we can share it with our readership. And um, what's nice is that, you know, there's there's more and more really interesting and bright people in our space that are doing cool stuff to learn from. And the people space also continues to evolve, you know, but even before COVID, it was evolving very quickly. And then we, we hit sort of this massive catalyst with remote work. And then George Floyd and DEI became more important. And, you know, now AI and, and, and you know, whatever is next around the corner. So uh, it's definitely a, a cool place to get up and, and explore every day. Yeah, it's very fun. This this space that that we're in, that we get to play in. It's interesting to me though, because one of the things that you know, obviously, I share in the introduction is that the average number of applications that large companies are using today are, is eighty, which is really just an incredible number. We talked about that. I guess my question for you, Phil, is how did we actually get to this point? Because what it makes me feel like is. I just walked into my son's bedroom and I opened a closet and all this stuff came careening out onto the floor. It's like, how do we make sense of this many different things and how did we get here? So another crazy stat is there are over 30,000 different HR technology vendors out there. So there's just a lot of stuff and there are so many different point solutions. So when I talk to people at a party or something, Hey, what do you do? I say, I run this website, help people buy the right HR software. They're like, Oh, that's super niche. And it's like, well, do you get paid by your company? Right? Like that's one thing. Um, how did you get hired? Did you find out about it on a job board? Did they reach out to you through an email? Did you take an assessment? Was it a technical assessment? Was it behavioral? Was it another skill assessment? Was it a video interview? You were in an applicant tracking system. Maybe you got nurtured through a CRM. You were onboarded, you became part of the HRIS, you have employee engagement data, there's a performance management thing that ties into your OKRs. And you know, you, you can really start to see, like, oh, okay, there are every step of the employee life cycle, there are all these different tools, and a lot of them add a lot of value. And so if you're a larger company, you're gonna start having these like point solutions for each different thing. And then I think what what ends up happening in these larger companies is that there are people that just don't talk to each other, right? So there's there's two or three video interview solutions. And like, should there be? No. <laughs> but, you know, the sales department started using this one and, and engineering uses this one and, and the actual recruiting team uses another. And so that that's like a, a massive problem. There's also issues where, hey, you know, our applicant tracking system actually has an email nurture tool, but we bought the CRM because we didn't know about that module. And like somebody else went to a conference, they went to HR tech last year and they saw this thing about how you're supposed to like nurture passive candidates. And they went out and bought a CRM where we could have actually done that maybe even through our marketing automation platform. And so I think, you know, one of the main things here is like, there's not like a sort of holistic strategy many times of, within a larger organization. And that's changing. There are people who are in recruitment operations roles, uh, people operations writ large, uh, talent acquisition, people analytics 
um, these HR business partners, these sorts of more strategic roles are definitely leading to more focus on technology and having a strategy around it. But if you don't have that sort of command and control, then people are just going to run in different directions. And especially in a big company, they're just going to buy lots of random systems. Makes sense. And it's also these applications are often sticky as well. So if you have an organization where maybe somebody has implemented two or three video-based interviewing tools, they get used to using these tools. They're easy to use. They're they're sticky, like I said. So then they don't want to replace them. They're They're comfortable using them, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's you know, another reason why there's so much money being put into these uh, businesses is that they, they are very sticky. And so if you can get to 10 or $100 million of revenue, you become an extremely valuable business. And I, I don't remember what Workday's stock is trading at right now, but it's a really big number. What are the biggest and most important trends that you see in HR tech? And, and why? Why are these trends happening? So I, I think I'm personally really excited about artificial intelligence in general. I think if you went to HR tech like five years ago, everybody was like, yeah, we're AI, we're AI. And it was just sort of like this BS marketing thing. But now there's actual like really solid use cases for this stuff. So I saw a demo, uh, I think two or three days ago for this people analytics solution called Organostic, where the uh, interface to run people analytics reports is through chat. And so you don't have to be a PhD. You don't need to know SQL or Python or R. You can type in, show me the least engaged unit in our office, or give me a list of people that have been promoted uh, in the top quartile in, in terms of their timeline. What, you know, what, what are like all, all these different things that you'd want to do from a people analytics perspective that you would have had to have a person run reports, probably do some, some data massaging. You can just do it through chat. That's pretty exciting. High volume recruiting. So let's ask people, what, let's first of all, get back to them within 30 seconds of applying over text. And then let's ask them knockout questions. Let's answer some of their questions. Typical HR employee experience questions like, how do I do open enrollment? How do I uh, log paid time off? All these like questions that people just get asked over and over and over again. And they're annoyed because they're like, hey, I asked HR three days ago about open enrollment and no one ever got back to me. And the HR person's annoyed because they're, they're the 15th person that week to ask. Uh, and so why not just have a bot do that? Like a bot can do that actually really effectively. Talent sourcing. A, a bot can do almost everything a third-party recruiter can do within reason. It can do like a 70% job of it. But you can imagine uh, now that a full desk recruiter can be two or three times more effective because they have these sorts of solutions. So I think that's the the next evolution of the world at work. And it's coming to HR tech, just like it's coming to law firms and investment banks and everybody else. I'm in the performance management space. How do you see AI being leveraged in performance management. And I can share a little bit about what we have coming in the next couple of weeks, but I'm curious about what you see happening over the next you know, year or two in performance. Sure. I'm happy to wildly speculate on this area that you know 10 times more than I knew about. I think that there will be... So performance management is sort of interesting because it has some of this people analytics stuff in it where you want to understand what's going on with a person, a group, an office, et cetera. And so querying that data, as opposed to trying to build dashboards or 
you know, do something through an API, I think is, is a big thing that will be in, in many solutions. Um, and, and in fact, I wouldn't even be surprised if there's a couple of companies that are built that are sort of the, that middle layer between the user and the, the core solution. I think that uh, in addition, we'll probably see more prescriptive like next steps and like, so what's, so, you know, this person is, you know, their performance reviews are showing X, Y, Z, what's the next step here? Um, well, they should be doing like this sort of coaching or they should be going through this sort of professional development procedure or, you know, good and bad, right? Like this person's excelling and therefore we want to do this. This person's a laggard and therefore we want to do that. And probably it'll get smart enough to start understanding, hey, you know, this is sort of not obvious, but maybe this person's suffering from a mental health issue. And we've seen this in 10 other people before where if they're, you know, coming in late and blah, 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 then this is actually a, a symptom of depression, not somebody who needs focus on organizational skills. And so I think we'll, we'll probably see some really interesting, um, non-obvious stuff to a human um, come out and, and some creative solutions that maybe we wouldn't have thought about. And, and then I think at the end of the day, like we're, it seems like we're, we're pretty far away from this stuff being more than augmenting a manager. I, I don't think that, you know, the recommendation to send somebody to counseling is, is probably going to just like, you know, automatically <laughs> go to that employee. Um, right. I think it'll be like a recommendation to a, a manager, a human being who then interprets it and, and acts on it. Mm -hmm. So that's an important part where this is really our exoskeleton. It's not our replacement, at least for the next five to 10 years. And we have no idea how fast or slow this stuff is going to get better. It's fascinating listening to what you just described, because essentially these tools could help improve employee well-being and help create cultures that are more compassionate, that care about people. And I think oftentimes we don't think of AI as doing that. We think of the opposite of this big brother sort of mentality that is not necessarily in our best interest. So that's kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is, I don't know how dystopian this is or not, but if, if you look at some of the prompts that people are feeding a technology like ChatGPT to, let's say, write a blog post and you can say, you know, write it in this style, right? Mm -hmm. And so for your culture, you might want to have the technology, the bot, whatever you want to call it, be more compassionate or, um, you know, there might be idiosyncrasies about your, your corporate culture or somebody geographic or religious culture that you want to be sensitive to. And, and so I, I think those sorts of things we can, we can very easily build into this. It's kind of weird to be like, Hey, like be more compassionate to a robot who doesn't really understand like what that means. Uh, and that's sort of maybe the dystopian part of this that eventually just gets a little weird. But I think you you make a really good point that, and I'm I'm optimistic personally about how this can impact us. And what's interesting is the the feedback we've received from our customers on where the biggest problems lie in performance management often comes back to the writing that managers are doing around feedback. So when I'm giving somebody feedback. I'm going to communicate something and there are there are gaps in competency and also the way that they communicate and they also sometimes put the organization at risk. So mm -hmm. we're we're finding that this is really a tremendous opportunity to actually present 
the manager or anybody in an organization that's going to give feedback to another person with mm -hmm. a suggested better approach that is leveraging these AI technologies. And so that's something that we're, we're excited about and we're going to be implementing in the next few weeks. So that sounds awesome. It's changing very rapidly though, isn't it? It's changing so fast. And what's cool about this stuff is like, you think about 20 years ago when you had to have, you know, physical servers and like all, all like, it, you know, it, it's unfathomable that like this new technology was unleashed on us, the, you know, the latest version of it, the ChatGPT, uh, but like two months ago, and like, it's already permeating many enterprise solutions. Like it's pretty crazy. It, it is. It's, it's kind of mind blowing actually. Out of all the categories in HR tech, what are the hottest right now, Phil? I think everything employee experience is really hot. Talent acquisition is not. So we're in March of 23. We just had the SVB crisis. And even before that, the economy was kind of cooling. And we've definitely seen, you know, TA tech kind of slow down a lot. But we still have way more people. I'm sorry, way more jobs than people looking for jobs. And so, you know, companies, I think, are really trying to figure out how do I keep the people that I have? How do I make them productive? And how do I do that while not raising salaries a ton? Because that's what we've been doing the last couple of years when we're fighting for people and it's just become uneconomical. So employee recognition software, rewards, especially peer-to-peer -peer recognition, employee engagement, performance management, like these are some of the really hot categories right now. One of the things that is interesting to talk about is the ROI of these different types of HR software. So that when you're making these decisions, usually it's needing to go through the, the CFO, the C-suite, there's some sort of authorization for the spend and you have to get to that point. But it feels with many of these technologies that it's it's ambiguous. They don't people don't really know what the tangible ROI is, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are about this, and and also if there are specific categories that provide really a clear and compelling business transformation case to be made. I always think about ROI in two ways. One is the hard dollars in a base case. So how do I become really comfortable that if I'm spending $100,000 or $100, I know that I'm going to get 3x back in a reasonable time period with like assumptions that make a lot of sense. So, you know, think about employee rewards and recognition. If you can increase the retention rate by X and that therefore decreases your talent acquisition cost by Y, decreases um, some of this like institutional knowledge loss, et cetera, like the, the biggest levers typically for HR technology are time to fill and cost per hire on the talent acquisition side, and then retention and productivity on the employee side. Productivity is a little bit harder to think about and measure, but retention is pretty simple to measure. And I think it's it's also easy to have uh, an ROI from that, that that makes sense. The, the second way that I think about it is more the, the soft ways that it changes your organization, which are probably actually more impactful. They're harder to measure, but to your point around transformation, you know, if you're kind of living in the stone age and all of a sudden you've got a really sleek performance management system, employee engagement system, rewards and recognition, whatever it is, then that that's a strong signal to the rest of your organization around, 
this is the way that the business is going. There's going to be all these different ways to leverage this tool that you didn't really think about or really or understand when you first went down the journey. And it's going to open up the world to, hey, you know, we, we had such great results from this solution. Our recruiting system is really terrible. Let's let's try to sort of digitally transform that now. And we have the confidence. We, we have a little bit of a playbook. We need to iterate a little bit, but we're we did an okay job and let's do a better job next time. So I think it's it's hard to understate those sort of like secondary values. They're very hard to calculate, but many times those can, those can be orders of magnitude larger than just the hard dollar ROI. And those are also in aggregate kind of an opportunity to improve employee experience, right? They certainly are. Yeah. It, throughout the entire life cycle. And it's a signal, especially for people outside of your organization. It's kind of like if you go to a website and you're going to buy something and the, the webpage looks terrible and it's hard to check out and your credit card gets, you know, bounced and you, you're sort of like, do I even want this product? Like, what's the customer success going to be like? What's the product experience going to be like versus the exact opposite? And, and that, that sends a signal for sure. So when you listen to companies, at least when we do about their frustrations about HR tech, one of the things that rises to the top occasionally are adoption rates. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how companies can achieve better adoption rates on some of this tech and what that's a symptom of. Yes, I think it's a symptom of HR's traditional role in a company as you know the person looking over your shoulder, the person who's sending you another survey that you don't want to take. And it's like, hey, now use this tool. And you're just like, why? Why would I do that? So my advice is when you're buying one of these systems to form a cross-functional team, that essentially acts as like your board of advisors throughout the process. So let's say you figure out, hey, our employer brand really stinks. We want to do some employer branding work. Just th throw it out there on Slack or whatever sort of internet you've got. And you'll find people who are in marketing, who are in product or in operations who care about this as well. And they'll raise their hand and just meet with them once a month and say, you know, here are the ideas. What do you think about these ideas? And you get diversity of thought, you're going to have better outcomes, right? This whole diversity thing. And then when you go to buy something, you're going to have them in your back corner to get the budget. And so when you need that 100,000 or 100 bucks, they're going to be able to go to the CFO and say, hey, you know, I've actually been helping this person out. And I think we, could, we should actually do this. Here's why. And then when you roll it out, you've got an advocate in each of the key functional areas of your company to say, here's why we are doing employee testimonials, performance management system, et cetera. I was actually a part of this. Here's the work that we did. Here's how it's going to make an impact on your career, on our company. You should do it. And coming that messaging coming from multiple vectors is really impactful, I've found, for employees. What a great piece of advice. And I'm also kind of reflecting on the increase in buy-in that you're going to get from teams and people when these systems are implemented, right? Definitely. Yeah. So before I jump into some lightning round questions, talk to me about why HR tech will never replace the critical face-to-face -face conversations that have to happen in the workplace. Well, it's just not there yet, right? Like human beings are, we're a unique breed. We can just think better. 
we understand emotions. Like it, it just comes down to experience and empathy. I don't know if, ne- if I, I'll never say never. Like, I think that in the next like 50 to a hundred years, it's actually extremely likely that uh, a machine could do a better job of management than a human. Um, and, and maybe some sort of like augmented person, like we're tr- sort of getting into the the realm of like singularity and like, you know, Ray Kurzweil and all this stuff. But I, I think we're a long ways off. And especially if you look at the reality of like most companies, HR tech stacks, it's like, we're using a really bad ATS. We're using a bad HRIS. Like we don't have, yeah. <laughs> we don't have best in class, anything. Everybody hates it. And and that's also a reason why there's, there's slow adoption too, right? It's because it's like, man, the ATS we have stinks. So why would I want to use this employee engagement thing, right? But if you look at, I would say probably like, you know, 70 plus percent of HR teams are using like bad, objectively bad technology stacks that are hurting their productivity. And so are we going to get to like replacing all people with like machines in the next five years? Like, no, definitely not. Okay. You ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. What are you most grateful for? Ooh, I'm not a big superlative person, but I think I'm grateful that I'm inside on a day when it's super rainy and it's about to turn into snow. What is the most difficult leadership lesson you've learned over your career? I think it's that as a founder, you're going to be the person that cares more than anybody else. And you can't get frustrated when somebody else doesn't care as much as you do. Who is one person you would interview if you could living or not? I would probably interview, gosh, I mean, I'm just thinking about like entrepreneurs. I I would probably interview Buffett if I could just be like one-on-one with no cameras and anything and get straight answers. Yeah. Do you have a top book recommendation, Phil? Or have you read anything recently or any books you, you want to recommend to listeners? I'm reading that new Tim Urban book. I don't know the name of it, but he runs that web blog called Wait But Why. And he has this new book out about like, why is America so polarized, I guess. And I think that's a pretty important topic. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice, I think it's to not burn bridges. Life is long. And even if somebody, you know, kind of wrongs you or whatever, like it's just best to take the high road. And if you had to summarize our talk today, what's the most important takeaway about this complicated topic to leave with our listeners? I think that despite the complication, it's something that is extremely important. And you just want to start down the path of upskilling and understanding how you can leverage these tools in your organization, because you can't just put your head in the sand. Like if you do, you're going to take it out and you're not going to have a job one day and not to scare anybody, but I think that's the reality. Like if you, in the next five years, like don't come up the learning curve pretty significantly on technology you're just not going to be marketable in in where the world is going. Thank you for bringing such great wisdom to the podcast and for helping us understand this complicated topic. My pleasure. Thanks for the great questions. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Human Capital. If you like this show, please tell your friends and also take the time to go rate and review us. Human Capital is a production of Goalspan, your integrated source for performance management. Now go out and be the inspiration to other humans, and thank you for being human, kind.